0: Well, good morning. I'm going to try not to hoop and holler. My, uh, my voice has been feeling a little, little crackly. How I many you guys know this weather gets to giving you the crud a little bit, huh? So I'm going to try not to go too crazily long today to spare you guys and my voice at the same time. But I do feel like there's some good stuff that we have this morning. So we're going to be in, uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, specifically. Last week we were talking about not looking back. Like Lot's wife, remember Lot's wife and what she encountered and experienced in her in her days when and Jesus specifically bringing this up with within the framework of, of eschatology and what it means to look forward to what Jesus is doing, not just now, but also futuristically to know that we don't need to just look back and hold on to what was previous in our in our days, but be excited for what he's leading us into currently. And so today, what I want to go through is, uh, this is going to be a a message titled, Talking to God. Talking to God. How many of you guys know we need to talk to the Lord? Amen. Amen. Um, I've talked about this kind of a little bit over the last couple months, but the concept of listening prayer and how we've kind of maneuvered our way away from that concept of listening in the middle of prayer. We feel like we have to fill a lot of space. With our words, with phrases, with, you know, and this is kind of some of the things that Jesus was talking about, where some of the Pharisees were filling their, the streets with their lofty prayers, making sure everybody could hear that they were praying out loud and that they were very well versed and being able to say big words and having all the things memorized. But uh, the reward that they got in that moment by people listening to them was just that. That was the reward that they gained. It wasn't that their prayers were answered. It was that they were seen by other people. And that, that was the only recognition that happened. But there's a there's a process we have to go through when we're when we're dialoguing with the Lord. And to in order to have a dialogue, die means two. And so you have to have two sides of of the log, <laughs> right? There has to be a logging of two specific communication. And so um in this process, what what I want to talk about today in, in talking to God is there's a specific instance that we see in the book of Exodus that I think is really telling. And it's really helpful. And then I have a, uh, a book. Uh, Danielle and I went to a couple of thrift stores yesterday and we went to a flea market and I walked into one of the sections and they had a bunch of books that were there. And Pastor Ken l- knows my affinity and my love for books. And my wife also very well is aware of my enjoyment for books as usually, usually when the Amazon guy comes to the door, you could bet that it's either Danielle or her mom ordering some kind of item or product. There's typically that's it. But then when you see one that's a little bit more smaller and like a school, squ- like a square or rectangular, that one's for me, and uh, that's that's books. And so typically, what I order are books, and an occasional electronic uh, device or something like that. But for the most part, my purchases are books or they're just digital books. And so um, I love looking at books. And so I went over to this booth and was kind of looking through some of the stuff that they had there. And and I love C.S. Lewis. How many guys have ever read anything by C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis is great. Oh yeah. um, he has a, a, actually one book that we use in ministry school here called Mini- Mere Christianity. Fantastic book. Great for, for just pulling in philosophy of, uh, of Christianity. Fantastic. But he, uh, he has a book specifically that I'm going to read a, a section from um, called Screwtape Letters. And I'll get to that here in a little bit. But there's something powerful about what we can encounter whenever we allow the Lord to speak to us in the middle of our prayer. I've mentioned the story before, but there's a guy named Tim Mackey. He's the guy that the has one of the co-founders of the Bible Project. If you're familiar with that ministry on YouTube, uh, they visually display passages of Scripture. They overview books of the Bible. They go through concepts within within Scripture. Uh, Dr. Tim Mackey has his PhD in uh, in Semitic languages, and uh, and it's, I mean he's a brilliant mind, and uh, and his his buddy John Collins. They he's got a background in in creative design and things like that and they met at bible college going through some courses just talking to each other and um and tim was telling a story about how he felt like he was kind of lopsided that he had one arm that was really strong figuratively and another one that was super weak and and feeble he said the super strong arm was his research and his study arm really really strong i mean he's his background is in research and study, and so he would go through. He'd wake up in the morning. He had this, this, uh, this daily routine where he would get up. He'd open up the Bible, and he'd do his Greek and Hebrew studies. He'd break down passages. He'd really go in-depth and just go right into his study portion. He said, I've learned a lot in that process. It's been amazing, really beneficial for me. He was like, but the thing that I struggled with really bad, and this is someone who has a Ph.D. in studying the Bible, is he said that he struggled with praying. He didn't quite really know how to do that properly. I mean he studied the Lord's Prayer. He's in all those things and it's he's he could break down systematically what it means and how it goes through. But just to practically walk through and pray, it was very difficult for him. He would sit down with his with some of his kids, they're real young guys, and and they would go to pray and he would just kind of be lost for words as far as what the heck he's supposed to be even talking about half the time. He's like, I mean we could quote prayers, but it just kind of they were just words almost, you know. He's like, I understood the implications of it, but to communicate it outside of my own mind was was very difficult. And so he said that he was challenged by a spiritual advisor of his to wake up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, and go to a place where he knew it was going to be quiet. And so he would go out into his back deck and he would look out. He lives in the Portland area, so it's beautiful landscape that they have out there. And So he'd go out and look in the back, and he said, and then just stay Silent. Just listen. Don't beat yourself up for things that cross your mind if it doesn't seem s- super spiritual or godly. If it doesn't seem like it's worth anything, it maybe it maybe you get distracted in the middle of it. You feel like you're going through your schedule for the day, or you know, maybe you're hungry right then, or you know, maybe you hear a bird chirp and you start thinking about some other things. He's like, It's okay. When you realize that you're doing that, just refocus yourself on the Lord. And just see what see what you feel like he says in those moments and then write those things down. He said when he started doing that, that, he started realizing some profound things that he was kind of bottling up internally that he did. He didn't have the opportunity to work through because he was just reading scripture to the point of just studying what everybody else's lives were in those moments. And he didn't allow the impact of the Lord to speak to him in his present day. And he said that was super powerful for him. And so I I take this and I introduce this passage this way because it's important to have the moments where we are not the ones who are completely filling the space with our air, with our words. And so Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read a few verses here. He says this. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priests of Midian, and he led this flock to the far side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Now, hold on, let me, I'm going to take a timeout real quick right here. I I may have commented on this before, but I, we gloss over this quite a bit. This little section. And sometimes we hyper-focus on it, but I just want to bring up a a very interesting piece here. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. We we miss the fact that, that it's the angel of the Lord right here. Sometimes we feel like the Lord was in the bush and was burning it up. Sometimes we feel like it was just a phenomenon that was happening. But right here in Scripture, the an- There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. The angel of the Lord. You see a lot of times that when there's a really significant moment that has happened, especially in Scripture, you see this in various ways. Um, you see that, that the depiction of fire is mentioned. Dr. Randy Clark has a book called Open Heaven. And fantastic book. And he mentions in there, he does, a, he does a little section of study over this passage and over a, a couple few moments as well. And you notice that, that angels are mentioned within the wind and the flame. Wind and flame. It's mentioned in the book of Psalms uh, multiple times as well. I believe Psalm 103 and 104 specifically has mentions of this. And you see this actually birth forth. In the book of Acts. Yep. You see this specifically? Yep. The tongues of fire. On their heads. The same the same mentioning that you see, the same word forms and the word phrases in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the way that they're form formatted and formulated, they they mesh up in the same way. The angels were present in the room during those moments. And they joined in with those who were in one accord. It appeared to be as tongues of fire over their heads. It said it was just over their head. It was so. Uh, usually, whenever we see this depiction, you see a little, a little like candle flame that's on top of each person's head when this is painted out. I don't, I don't know if that's quite the representation no. that it would have been. Nope. I think it was as if it was there, as if there was a glory that was on, like in the room that you could, that you could pretty much see in that space that it was just over their heads it was around them it was it was something that was noticed it was felt, could have been a bright light could have been something that was like that but they were tongues, it was like, it was intense it was an intensified moment but it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush Moses saw that though the bush was on fire it did not burn up so moses thought i will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called to him from within the bush moses moses and moses said here i am do not come any closer God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the mystery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Sometimes we forget that that was the mountain that Moses was bringing them to the same place that he encountered God in this space was the same mountain that he was bringing them back to so he wasn't unfamiliar with the direction that they were going or where he was going to be leading them he actually went went the way that he was going to lead the Israelites out of he went that way I'm having a bunch of thoughts hit me at, at the same time at, in the middle of thinking about that. He he went the same way that they were going to go when he led them back. But the way that he was able to get from this mountain to Egypt was not the same way that he was able to bring the Israelites. You think about this? The the story does the story never mentions that Moses was stuck trying to get from one side of the Red Sea to the other. You thought about that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) When he (laughs) traveled to go from this location to Egypt, when they were coming, they were stopped and stalemated at the Red Sea, right? Mm -hmm. We know that story? When he had all of Israel... He wasn't perplexed as far as, like, how he needed to get there. The things we did before won't be the things that will get us through in the next season. We cannot look back, like Lot's wife, at what was before. We need to move forward with where the Lord is leading us now. It was an incredible journey and terrifying at the same time because he knew he had to go to Egypt. That was not the same way. Even if he crossed the Red Sea on a little boat with his family, he was leading an entire nation. So he couldn't do the journey the exact same way that he did beforehand when he had just his family and they were going to Egypt. He had to do something different. And when he got to the barrier, realizing, holy smokes, I can hear the sound of the chariots approaching quickly. People are losing their noggins right now because of that as well. The Lord is staving off the enemy currently. How are we going to pass this span of sea so that we can go and do what the Lord has asked us to do? It didn't say that Moses already had a plan in place. He had built a ship, taken a while just to make sure that when he went to do that, that they had everything ready to go. He was following the lead of the Lord. (laughs) Hey, you're the one that told me to do this. And so he stepped out and then saw the Lord do miraculous things. But he had to step out in faith. Following and saying, Lord, you're the ones that, you were the one that was going to set him free. I can't make plagues happen. I can't be the one that, like, he was so, Self-conscious about his 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 ability to even speak to Pharaoh that Aaron had to go with him and communicate. But his confidence in seeing what the Lord had done. through those plagues, he could step out and say, all right, I'm going to continue on and trust you in the middle of this. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of egypt and say to him the lord the god of the hebrews has met with us let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the lord our god this is interesting too because usually like we we watched the prince of egypt not too long ago again just it's a fantastic film anybody else ever watched that one and the cast there oh my goodness if you don't it's incredible what they've done with that film but there are some inaccuracies that you see throughout the film as you would in any kind of things but one of the things that you notice is if you if you recall in reading just the previous verse you see that it wasn't just just moses as it was depicted in the prince of egypt that showed up because every time that moses was communicating with pharaoh it was just him talking and we know that that aaron was with him and the lord just told him bring the elders also of israel so it wasn't just one dude, Moses, walking up and giving the instruction to Pharaoh what the Lord was wanting to do. He actually had a multiplicity of those who were with him. And he said that they would believe him and walk with him. They would see at every twist and turn the things that the Lord was doing, and it would grow them in confidence and the leadership of what the Lord was actually providing for them at the same time, too. So let's go to the next verse here. Um, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any other and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on Uh, Your sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. This was the conversation that Moses was able to have with God on this mountain. And you see that this was the, the place and the location that he would go multiple times. We see this in the latter part of Exodus once they get to the mountain that this is the location that Moses would travel, he would go up and he would have further conversations with the Lord. He went to a familiar place that he knew that the Lord was was at, the place that he was required to bring them to go and worship. You know, if Moses didn't first exit Egypt go and meet Jethro and marry his daughter and become a shepherd he would not have found this location he wouldn't have found this location he would have been still at Egypt still as a as a prince as a Someone who was a part of the the system of what was happening over there, unknowingly participating in every single thing that the culture had offered. But he had to go and find out what it meant to live as a shepherd. Shepherds, interestingly, I've been doing a lot of study on shepherds and sheep. Uh, Sheep is the foremost mentioned animal in all of scripture. It's mentioned nearly 400 times if you count sheep, sheep and flock. So you put those two together so that when they're talking about sheep and it's in, uh, in particular, it's mentioned about 400 times. Shepherds are mentioned about 100 times. There are a bunch of warnings that even some of the, the Old Testament prophets give uh, from the Lord, specifically in Ezekiel. Um, you find this in Jeremiah as well and uh, in a few other places. But they are very um, particular about warning those against the inadequacies of false shepherds and so this this analogy is is very prevalent and uh the majority of the mesopotamian culture back in those days it was very well set to where this was a very popular job that they had and it kind of was uh they were kind of dependent upon shepherds and sheep for their everyday life But also it brings you to a place of understanding the leadership and the compassion that one has to have for these animals, because there's a, a lot of attention that needs to happen with these these sheep. They're, they're very fickle in their o- ability to follow after directions at times. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very difficult for them to, to stay in one location and to be content, much as well. And so the shepherds have to be on guard consistently, and they have to be ones who are, uh, who are attentive to, the activity that's going on around them. You see Jesus is even gives, he gives examples of the lost sheep. And now there's one that wanders and the the shepherd is compassionate enough to want to go after that one lost sheep. Brings him back to the flock. He leaves the 99 to go get the one and comes back. You also see in John 10 that Jesus talks about the the good shepherd, as far as the, the sheep that know him, the sheep that know the shepherd, they also know the voice. There's been a lot of studies done and and noticed that whenever sheep are used to a specific shepherd, they can all go to a watering hole. They could kind of intermingle with other uh, other flocks, yep. other herds. <coughs> and, uh, and as the shepherd is ready to leave, the shepherd can call out or has a specific signal that it could give, and his voice would be able to remove all of his sheep from the other flocks yep. that are sitting there at the watering hole. So he could just talk and he could start moving and the sheep will then start to follow him. His sheep will. Not the other ones, but his sheep will follow his voice yep. because they know the voice of their shepherd and they know that that is the one who cares about them intimately. And so if it's time to go, it's time for them to go. And so Moses goes through this process of, go of becoming Going from a a prince of Egypt, essentially someone who is raised within the household of the Pharaoh to now someone who has to go into the wilderness and and take care of sheep. Many believe that that Moses was about 40 years old whenever he left Egypt. I mean, I'm 32. I'm still I I would still be there if I was Moses. (laughs) He was 40 when he left and he was about uh, and then about 40 years passed. Before he goes up to the mountain and meets with God. He's 80 years old when he's having this conversation. Mm-hmm. That's pretty significant. 80, he, he, had, he spent 40 years in the in the uh, in the courts of Pharaoh and then 40 years as a shepherd. And then goes from that place to then going back to Egypt to go lead the people out so that they can go and worship the Lord. The purpose, and God mentions this multiple times, that, that I'm going to take you to this place that I've promised, but the intention that we have for what's happening here is that this will be a land, primarily, first and foremost, where you will worship God. The foremost reason that I'm bringing you guys out of this place is so that you can worship me. And then from that place, you'll be able to move on into the land that I promised you. And so, in talking to God, there's there's some things that I notice in this passage that I find really impactful for us. The first thing is that Moses was curious. At the very beginning, it says that Moses saw that the bush, the bush, the the bush is burning. The bush was burning. The bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. It wasn't deteriorating. He was curious something about this is interesting and i'm not used to it he spent 40 years in the wilderness 40 years out there as a shepherd so i'd imagine that if there's a phenomenon that you could see that that many people mention, where bushes spontaneously combust yes out there i mean it, some of you guys have heard it from sounds like that that study and maybe you've read up on that a little bit that's that's a natural thing that happens out there yep. so i can imagine for 40 years and being out there he's not unfamiliar with this phenomenon But the fact that it was on fire, and then they mentioned, they specifically mentioned that it was on fire, but it wasn't burning. That was what perplexed him. He was like, there's something different about this. Let me go and explore a little bit more. His curiosity led him into a conversation with the Lord. I I think we need to get more curious. I need to get more curious a lot of times. It's very easy for me to... To as a firstborn, someone tells me what to do, I'm going to do it. All right, cool. That's going to be what I'm doing. Played sports all throughout high school. Coach tells me do it, I'm going to do it. It's not going to be fun, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what he told me to do. And I want to make sure that I'm following along with authority, right? Boom, there we go. But it didn't leave a whole lot of room for curiosity in my mind to, to operate that way. today I'm starting to to become more curious through some challenging and some pushing and things like that and it's been great it's fun to be m- more curious you end up sloshing around a little bit more trying to find your footing but it's still great to become more curious and so I think we need to become more curious when we feel like we're our 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 thoughts are peaked when we see something huh I need to think a little bit more about that not just gloss over and act like this is just another simple thing. And I'm not saying we buck against authority or that we go just against the grain for the sake of going against the grain, but if there's something that, that catches our eye, or attention, it's like, huh, we don't need to dis- dismiss that at all. We need to be people who can lean into those moments and ask further questions about it. And so Moses goes through. He's like, huh, this is interesting. And as he does it, then the Lord sees That he was curious. He sees that he pursued and he went in. And then the Lord spoke to him in that moment. Again, Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years. The Israelites were enslaved long before that. Bushes had been on fire for a while around there in the wilderness. But it was at this moment that he was ready and his curiosity was just enough to where he was able to go through and say, huh, there's something different about this bush. I need to see it. So when we can say, hey, there's something different about what's going on right now. There's something different about this, this, this text. Or There's something different about what's happening in my life. Or There's something different about something. I need to lean into it and not just treat it as another bush that caught fire. What is it that's happening here? and in that him and him and god were able to have a conversation and the, be- the beautiful thing is that moses displayed inadequacies throughout this conversation yep. throughout the conversation if you continue on you you realize that he goes he goes and says god i can't communicate you know that i have a stutter you know that i you know that i can't i can't talk good and he goes i'm going to send i'm going to send aaron i'm going to send aaron with you who are you to say i'm god i'm the one that made the heavens and the earth So he was he was imperfect in the middle. of It's not because Moses was perfect that he was he was able to walk in and and tell Pharaoh that. He needed to uh, to set the Israelites free so they can go worship the Lord at the mountain. And so this gives me a lot of hope. I don't know about you guys. It gives me a lot of hope because it means that I don't have to have the perfect response to the Lord. I don't have to have an adequate reasoning. I mean. I've been doing a lot more marketing stuff lately and and you want to really make sure you say the right thing whenever you're communicating. This is a freedom not to have to worry about having a really polished answer to the Lord. And so he takes these moments. And so I want to do this. I want to read, because I'll I'll sit on this for a really long time. I want to read just a section out of C.S. Lewis's Book Screw Tape Letters. Now screw Tape Letters, just for a little bit of understanding for you guys. This is a fictional book. Okay, start off with this. It's fictional. Screw Tape Letters is really interesting though because C.S. Lewis has a really brilliant. He had a really brilliant mind in the way that he was able to craft stories, and then intertwine scripture in it without. Uh, sometimes it was very overt and very in your face, and at other times it was very subtle, but it still drove home a beautiful point. He also wrote um, many works that you've probably seen movies made of and and lots of stories told over and over again with the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> and there's so much biblical imagery in the middle of it, it's bonkers. Yep. But he was not just a storyteller. He was also one who wrote apologetically. So he wrote a lot of things to back up and to base scripture and to show people that God is truly God. He did a lot of debating. He was actually a, an uh, Oxford professor, yeah. I believe. And so what he would do is he would... Go through, and he would debate people who were atheists. Yep. And he would he would go through, and he would walk through, and answer questions, and combat these ideologies that um, that atheism is the way. He's a brilliant, brilliant mind, and so what he did was he he crafted this book, wrote this book specifically from the perspective of uh, of a couple demons talking to one another mm. about how they're trying to entrap humans. Yep. There are different strategies and ways that they would go about harming individuals and causing them not to follow after God, and even ones who are Christians. It's crazy. He goes through, he's like, he talks through a couple points. He's like, dear Wormwood, it's, it's, a, it's a hierarchy demon talking to his nephew, Demon, who's a novice in the, in the, uh, the terrorizing, tempting space, and he, his, uh, his nephew's name is Wormwood, And so he goes, Dear warm and I'm I'm very saddened to hear that your subject has been um, taken by the other side. And so they call the enemy what what we would call the Lord in Christianity. So he's like he's been taken by the enemy. And so they dialogue about ways that they try to detour believers from walking in the fullness of their salvation from understanding their identity in Christ completely and wholly and, and and making them very stale in their nature and drawing them further away from their purpose. And so I'm going to read uh, section four for you guys today because I, I, I feel like this is really, really impactful in the way that we communicate with the Lord just from a story-driven perspective. And so he says this, My dear Wormwood, The amateur suggestion in your last letter warned me that it is high time for me to write to you fully on the painful subject of prayer. You might have spared the comment that my advice about prayers for this man's mother proved singularly unfortunate. That is not the short thing that a nephew should write to his uncle, nor a junior tempter to the undersecretary of a department. It also reveals unpleasant desire to shift responsibility. You must learn to pay for your own blunders. The best thing, were it possible, is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. When the patient is an adult recently converted to the enemy's party, like your man, this is best done by encouraging him to remember or think he remembers the parrot like nature of his prayers in childhood. In reaction against that, he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward and formal and unregularized, unregularized. And what this will actually mean to a beginner will be an effort to produce in himself a vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part. One of their poets, Coleridge, has recorded that he did not pray with moving lips and bending knees, but merely composed to his spirit to love and indulged a sense of supplication. That is exactly the sort of prayer that we want. And since it bears a superficial resemblance to the prayer of silence as practiced by those who are far advanced in the enemy's service, clever and lazy patients can be taken in by it for quite a long time. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. But they constantly forget what you must always remember that they are animals, and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. If this fails, you must fall back on a subtler misdirection of his intention. Whenever they are attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him and toward themselves. Keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings, thereby their actions of their own wills. When they meant to ask him for for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they're doing. When they're meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they're praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Let, teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. And never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they, w- they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. But, of course, the enemy will not meantime be idle. Whenever there is prayer, there is danger of his own immediate action. He is cynically indifferent to the, the dignity of his position and ours as pure spirits. And to human animals on their knees, he pours out self-knowledge in a quite shameless fashion. But even if he defeats your first attempt at misdirection, we have a subtler weapon. The humans do not start from that direct perception of him which we unhappily cannot avoid they have never known that ghastly luminously that stabbing and searing glare which makes the background of permanent pain in our lives if you look into your patient's mind when he is praying you will find that if you examine the object to which he is attending you will find that it is a composite object containing many quite ridiculous ingredients. There will be images derived from pictures of the enemy as he's appeared during the discreditable the, episode known as the Incarnation. There will be vulgar, perhaps quite savage images associated with the other two persons. There will even be some of his own reverence and of bodily sensations accompanying it, objectified and attributed to the object revered. I have known cases where what the patient called his God was actually located up and to the left of the corner of the bedroom ceiling or inside his own head or in a crucifix on the wall. But whatever the nature of the composite object, you must keep him praying to it, to the thing that he has made, not to the person who has made him. Yep. You may even encourage him to attach great importance to the correction and improvement of his composite object and to keep it steadily before his imagination during the whole prayer for if he ever comes to make the distinction if ever he consciously directs his prayers not to what i think thou art but to what thou knowest thyself to be our situation is for the moment desperate once all his thoughts and images have been flung aside or, if retained, re- retained with full recognition of their merely subjective nature, and the man trusts himself to the completely real, external, visible presence, there with him in the room, and never knowable by him as he is known by it. Why? Then it is that the incalculable may incur. In avoiding this situation, the real nakedness of the soul in prayer, you will be helped by the fact that the humans themselves do not desire it as much as they suppose. There's such thing as getting more than what they bargained for. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. The powerful notion of prayer is not the fact that we can just sit and say words and comment on things. Even in the process where we feel like we have to look at an object or a thing to to bring to our attention, maybe. I know this is something that's of, of varying religious expressions, but seeing different images of a cross on a, on a wall or, you know, you see different things that would, you know, cause you to stand and do some kind of repetitious action. However, what is the intent of your heart in the middle of that? What's the transparency of your soul As you're going through that the, the thing One of the things that caught my eyes the most In this is whenever he Mentioned that one of the simplest Ways to deter us from our conversation With God is to cause us to look at ourselves So much to the point To where we're just longing for ourselves And not longing for him And in that process he works in us When I'm trying to fix everything About myself or I'm so concerned in my prayer about my needs being completed that I'm, I'm never at actually attentive in having a conversation with God because it ends up being more of a complaint factory moving from my mouth to where I'm just constantly asking him to do things for me to where I turn him into a genie instead of actually having a conversation with him. So at what point do we, do we stave off repetitious prayers that are just words that we fill the air with and at what point do we actually mean some of the things that we're actually praying into that we take time to sit and listen to the lord because we know that he actually speaks er, we we know this right the lord speaks to us he's we, we serve a living god not one who is dead and so i believe that he communicates to us consistently And so are we curious enough to move past some of the things that we have experienced before? Even in moving from the place of the mountain like what Moses did and going back into Egypt, knowing that there was a way that he went to get from the mountain to Egypt. And then whenever he came to the Red Sea, it had to be something different. Are we attentive to listen to the Lord in those moments? We, are we able to take that step of faith, even though it may be uncharted territory? I'm, I'm not just saying these words. These are things that I'm processing a lot currently as well. Danielle and I talk about these things often. What had once gotten us through a previous season it's not always the same thing that will get us through the next season. What he led us to and through in the previous time may not be exactly what he's doing in this season in this time. Moses had to get to the point where he left a very cushy opportunity for himself Jethro was was a very successful man yep. he married one of his daughters he was a shepherd and the midst of his assembly, he was doing great for himself as a shepherd. Mm -hmm. He went from being being in a very rich scenario to then being into another well-to-do place. But the Lord asked him to take a step of faith. And to even move out of what someone would have said, you're nuts, dude, from doing what you just did. I don't see this on your life. Same thing with Abraham, right? And he's Abram. He wasn't a poor dude. Nope. He wasn't without. The Lord asked him to take a step. Take a step of faith. Step out and do what I'm inviting you into. It would have looked like he was crazy. You're going to leave your family like this? You're going you're to depart from, from the, communi- the communal aspect that you had? The Lord has invited me to something else. Can we take that step and say, okay, I'll do it. People may think I'm nuts, but I'll do it because this is what you're asking. Moses took that step, went to his wife. Hey, I know we're living it up in Midian, but we got to go to Egypt. We have to go where? Yep. Yep. We're going to Egypt. Isn't that where your people are? Mm -hmm. Sure enough. And you're going to tell who, what? Yep. Pharaoh himself. And you're going to lead all the, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to see the whole entire nation come back over to this mountain. We're going to worship the Lord. And then there's a land flowing with what? Yep. Milk and honey. Pretty crazy. This is what we're going to do. You are bonkers. Let's go. Are we willing to do these things? It's an easy yes when we're sitting here talking with one another. But when he's asking you to do something like that, and you're faced with that, I love love that in this letter that Screwtape writes to, to Wormwood, is that he said that they... The subtlety of making them feel, this line, I'm going to read this again because it was good. When they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they're praying for courage, make it where they're actually trying to feel brave. Courage isn't a feeling, it's an action. He was courageous when he did this. It doesn't mean that, that he was without discomfort. He was without maybe even some kind of anxious thought. A courageous act isn't because it's comfortable. (laughs) It's not called courageous because it's comfortable, it's courageous because it's unnerving. Nearly insane. David stood up to Goliath. Courageous, yeah. Goliath was huge. And then all of Israel would be enslaved if David lost? David's a shepherd boy. He stood, didn't, didn't, Scripture didn't say that he was not nervous about this process. This is something that, that because I'm, I I try I, I feel things a lot, and so I need to muster up, you know, my, capacities of doing things sometimes but goodness gracious courage is not a feeling it's it's a response can i respond with a yes when the lord is saying something can i say okay god or am i just stalemated in comfortability because that's just what i've known it's what i know I want us to ask those questions this morning. When I'm praying, when I'm doing these things, I'm actually having conversations with the Lord, or is this something that I'm just doing because I'm trying to muster up a feeling instead of just doing what the Lord is asking? Am I curious, or am I just repeating things? Are my words, are my words intentional? Or am I checking the box of of things that I feel like I should be doing? Routine is not bad. I like routines. Routines are good. But the intentionality inside the routine is also really important. Really, really important. Makes it easier when you're an athlete to to practice more when your intention is not, I'm just going to get through this workout. When your intention is, I'm preparing for something that is to come. I'm preparing for a battle that we're going to go against a different team, a different squad. And so I'm working out with the intention that I'm going to be at peak performance whenever that happens. Whenever I would run lines with my fellow athletes, whenever I was playing football in high school, there was a couple coaches that we had that they were, I I thought they were psychotic just about. (laughs) We would run so much. It was crazy. People would be up chucking and everything in the middle of each of these times that we were running And me and a couple of my other friends, we would make a game out of the whole thing. We would run with each other and try to beat each other. We would get people mad at us because we were some of the younger guys and we were winning sprints. And they're like, you guys are making this worse because we're losing and you guys are winning. We're like, hey, our intention is not just to win in this race. Our intention is so that we can get better, so that we could be up to snuff and up to par whenever it's time for us to compete. I want to do everything I can at the highest capability that I can to make sure that I'm prepared for what the Lord is asking and requiring. And that means that I'm not doing this for myself. I want to make sure I'm in peak performance so that I can run with other horses. Otherwise, I'm going to be the thing that holds a group back. And so I can make a game and run with other people because this is something that we get to do together and not just for myself. So don't be subjected to to Wormwood by internally processing every single thing that comes through, focusing prayers too much to self. But be curious and ask the Lord questions and ask him what he's leading you to. He may lead you to do something you've never done before, or he could be leading you to go down a path that you have traveled again, but you're going to approach it in a different way. What is that that he's doing right now? We had a beautiful time where people are thinking about newness and new things and all those things. Resolutions, it's great. This is the time where the most people are at the gym in a year. That everybody's trying to get off that holiday weight. But is the purpose just to get off a little holiday weight or do you want to be healthy? Is the purpose for Sustainability. What is your purpose and what we're pursuing after? Let's stand. Lord, you are my shepherd. Because you're my shepherd, I don't lack anything that I need. I have everything that I need. You make it where I can have rest. And I can lie down in green pastures. You lead me in. Besides still waters where I can have a restorative process of my soul. This is not something that I can just travel to once, but this is something that you do in me consistently. So, Lord, let the revelation of you being a good shepherd, of you leading and taking care of and tending to our our lives, let that be something that we remember and recall often that the restoration of our soul is something that we navigate to consistently when we feel and we know that there's an activity in our lives that's not reflecting of your, your goodness and your mercy. Let us be led to the paths of righteousness and that our lives are, are, are full of righteousness and living and represent you for your name's sake, not to where our names be made famous. That God, when I... When we're traveling on the path that could seem treacherous and dangerous, let let us not fear evil because we know that you as our shepherd is leading us and you're with us. You're not just the one that set us on the path, but you're there with us in the path. That your rod and your staff is there actually for the comfort and benefit of me. You prepare a table before us. And the presence of those who we could deem as enemies it's not something that I have to create or, or make of my own. This is something that you do as the host. And so anoint our heads with oil in these moments so that our cup overflows. Let the intentionality, the moment to pay attention to you as our shepherd be the thing that, that we draw to in those moments. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And Lord let us dwell in your house forever. In Jesus name I pray and everybody said. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful wonderful day. Stay